us read these together, and then we'll go to work. Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Didn't you enjoy Brother Grant's message Sunday night? That was super, uh, just a great masterpiece, uh, and I am so thankful uh, for it and for the Word of God that comes forth with unction and power, and it's always a timely word. Uh, and uh, just to see what God accomplished in these altars afterward was refreshing. It really was, and I appreciate Brother Grant obeying the Lord. Amen. Coming all the way from Georgia. Amen. To be with us for a few days. Praise God. God bless him. Amen. Katrina, it's always good to see her as well. <laughs> Amen. And Aiden, praise the Lord. Okay, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let's read it together. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. All right. Now, Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 2. Let's read it together. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing of or you could also insert in there reprogramming. The reprogramming of your mind. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that it has in our hearts and minds. Uh, teach us your word today as we make our way, Lord, once again through the passages that we've shared together. In Jesus' name, all God's children say amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. The title of uh, our lesson tonight, I'm just going to call it, My Mind, the Door to My Heart. An intense battle is being waged in every one of our minds, I believe, 24 hours a day. Uh, how many know even while we sleep, the enemy can attack even in our dreams? Yeah, he's done that to me. I'm sure I'm not the only one. We will never wake up one morning and find Satan handing us a free pass regarding this war on our minds. It would be nice, but how many know that's not going to happen? It's not going to happen. On the contrary, it's a battle. It goes 24-7, 365, full-time, no sick leave, no days off. It's a war, and the mind involves at least, notice on your worksheet, four major areas, all of them beginning with the letter I. Helps me remember them. Ideas, images, information, and intelligence. When I say intelligence, I'm referring to the ability to think. How many know the enemy attacks us in all four of those areas? All four sides. So in a sense, the biggest battlefield in the world is located 
right here between our two ears. The stakes are incredibly high. 1965, pastor, theologian Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote a book, and he entitled it The Invisible War, and it was all about the battle of the mind. He described this mental battle as unrelenting and unfair because Satan, how many know he never plays fair? Right? And so the reason this battle for our minds is so intense is because, notice on your worksheet, our greatest asset is our mind. Hello. Our greatest asset is our mind. Guys, I know you work on your muscles, but that's not your greatest asset. Hmm? Our mind is. Now get this on your uh, study guide. Our lives are determined more by our thoughts than they are by our circumstances. Now that truth nugget right there, Brother Cooper, was worth getting a suit and tie on for. It really is. Our lives are determined more for our thoughts, or by our thoughts, than they are by our circumstances. That's why it says in Proverbs 23, 7, As a man thinketh, so is he. The battle for our mind is so strategic, so critical, because our mind is the door to our heart that influences our character. Get that on your worksheet. Because the mind becomes, somebody say, the command center. That's what it is. The command center, which determines our conduct based upon how we think, based upon how we've been influenced to think. And we'll come back to that in a moment. So the mind then has the power to shape us and to shape our actions and subsequently in the most powerful uh, is the most powerful element of human life and I think it was Lord uh, Palmerston uh, who said you know, all the way back July 21st 1849 in the House of Commons and I quote he said opinions are stronger than armies opinions he said will will in the end prevail against the bannets of the, the uh, infantry and the fire of artillery and the charges of the cavalry. And I think he's right. Armies come and go. Ideologies last. Right? It's amazing how powerful opinions are. Opinions are just a collection of thoughts on a subject. So it all begins in the minds with our, with our thoughts. So a little newsflash here. One of the greatest revelations we can have in life is to realize that we get to choose the thoughts we dwell on or delete. Mentally. Did you get that? We have the ability to think things on purpose. I don't have to become a victim to just whatever thoughts 
come into my head. Well, let me say that again. I don't have to become a victim to just whatever thoughts fall into my mind. I get to choose between what I dwell on or what I delete mentally. So one of the most important things we must learn, teach our children, our grandchildren, is how to guard, how to strengthen, how to renew our minds because the battle for sin always begins in the mind. Notice this, researchers say that 87% of the illnesses plaguing us today directly result from our thought life. Did you hear me? 87%? So what we think about affects us not only spiritually, but physically, emotionally, psychologically. Whatever has our mind has us. You know, there's all kinds of scientific studies that have been uh, found that have found the impact of of positive um, attitudes or positive mental status. You know, uh, they say it results in faster recovery from a surgery, a quicker recovery from burns. Uh, it uh, results in um, the attitude affects our immune system. Science has discovered that our attitude gives resistance to certain kinds of cancers. Really? I, I didn't... I'm just sharing with you what they said science has proven. I think Scripture kind of backs this up when we, we see people, you know, in the Gospels ask Christ to heal them. And uh, in turn... Christ will ask them about their expectations. For example, he, uh, he would say something like, well, do you believe that I can make you whole? And they would respond in the affirmative, and, and then Christ would respond by saying something like, okay, according to your faith, so be it unto you. With Christ they would often receive in their body what they believed in their mind. Now that was with Christ. This is the power uh, that the mind can have uh, and faith that is activated there can have. Why our mind is such a powerful battleground because what we receive is often a result of what we believe. Okay? So our thoughts become the behaviors that become our life patterns. Notice that on your study guide. So whoever or whatever gets our mind gets us in a sense, and that is why media and uh, commercial advertising, they thrive on shaping our attitudes, our values, our ideas that in turn influence our behavior or our actions in purchasing. An um, example of this I read recently is uh, South Korean men, they have begun to wear makeup as a sign of success. I read the other day that South Korean men spent $495.5 million on skin care in one year. 
They said that accounted for nearly 21% of all global sales. And one of the primary reasons is the men are daily flooded with messages in popular media featuring a group of exceptionally good-looking, smooth-skinned, fashionable sports stars and celebrities suggesting that flawless skin is a crucial part of any plan to get ahead at work and romance. So we got men wearing makeup to get ahead in their careers. Now, come on, do I need to say any more? This illustrates just how important this battle is for our minds. In the battle for our mind, our values, our beliefs, our morals, whoever has our mind, has our thinking, has us. So back to our text, Paul's idea of, of transforming our minds, let's not miss the, the time element involved here. Because if there's anything we know about human nature is that we change slowly, right? If and when we change at all. Think about the struggles in our own lives. What would we change about ourselves on the inside if we could? Hmm. Would it be uh, an impatient spirit? Would it be a uh, critical tongue? Would it be envy? Of those around us? Would it be a spirit of discontentment? Would it be um, uncontrollable sexual temptation? Would it be financial mismanagement? Hello? Would it be a guilty conscience? Would it be pride and arrogance? Would it be prejudice toward others? Would it be a quick temper? Would it be profound discouragement? Would it be inability to appreciate life? Would it be ungrateful spirit? Would it be a disorganized life? Would it be the inability to say no to peer pressure? Would it be uh, just a, a mean streak that you can't seem to get rid of? Hello? See, now God can perform a radical transformation and change us internally in a moment of time. Hello? He can. He can do that. But that's more of an exception rather than the rule. The renewing of our minds and learning to think with the mind of Christ usually takes time. Hello, so everybody say time. And it's often tied to a process in Scripture that the Apostle Paul refers often to called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Because we all want change to happen. We want it fast. Like I said, advertisers know that. I mean, that's why uh, we get our email inbox flooded with ads promising we can lose weight fast. Make money overnight. Learn a new language. Become an irresistible romantic in just a short amount of time. Yeah, those emails I get says, 
watch the unwanted pounds just melt away. I like that metaphor. Sounds like fun. Huh? Take this diet pill, eat this supplement, drink this super duper energy drink, and presto. Those unwanted pounds will just melt away. What could be easier? Or how about the emails telling me that the widow of the former president of Nigeria or Cameroon or maybe someplace I've never heard of because it probably doesn't even exist wants me to help her get $4 million into an American bank account which she will gladly split with me. If only I will send her my bank account information. What a deal, right? What a deal. Help a poor widow, make $2 million for myself. What could go wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> All these scenarios have an appeal to us because they promise quick change. But change is hard. It's almost always a lengthy process. Helping people change? Why, it's big business these days. That's why we have Oprah. That's why we have Dr. Phil. And oh, don't forget those great theologians on a program called The View. Let me just say, oh, this is a, wow. If you find yourself agreeing with those ladies, with the majority of those ladies on The View. Not all of them, but the majority. Just write it down. You don't have the mind of Christ. Somebody say, Lord, help him. Oh, folks, go to any bookstore. You'll see an entire wall or shelf filled with self-help books. You can go broke buying all those books. But when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you're going to see the same old person looking back at you just another day older and deeper in debt. That's why we move, change jobs, buy a new car, start a new career, go to a new church. Don't you even think of it. Join a fitness club, start working out, buy a new outfit, on and on and on we could go. It's not as if those things are wrong in themselves, except the one about going to a new church. Uh, sometimes we do need to make outward changes. But it's not the outward stuff that most often trips us up first. It's the stuff on the inside that we can't seem to fix that causes us to stumble first. So I like to think that Paul in Romans 12 too is telling us, listen, you can be transformed. You can even be transformed outwardly too. But that, that it starts though when your mind is renewed inwardly. Right? So for this to happen, notice on your worksheet, three mental musts. Number one, we must be transfigured on the inside. 
The Greek word for transformed is in Romans 12, 2, is related to our English word. Anybody remember? Metamorphosis. And you will recall that from like what? Junior high science class, that metamorphosis is the process by which a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. A tadpole becomes a frog. It's a gradual change on the inside that produces a total transformation on the outside. And I use the word transfigure here because this is still the same Greek word that's used. And it's used in the Gospels in reference to the transfiguration of Christ when the true glory of Christ began to shine through his humanity. That's what we need to happen, right? He was transfigured before uh, a few of his disciples in Mark chapter 9, I believe it was. The Bible says his clothes, they like glowed, become radiant, uh, intensely white. Like you couldn't even bleach them that white. The word transfigured means to be changed or transformed from one thing to another. And, and think of it this way. When Christ was transfigured, he did not cease to be Christ. He was still who he had been moments before. But for just a brief time, the curtain was pulled back in a sense. James and Peter and John, I believe it was, saw as much of the true divinity of Christ as any man can see and still live. Right? Isn't that what happened? And in that moment, they saw the real Jesus, the true Son of God from heaven. He did not cease to be a man, but his true identity was revealed to them, true God of true God, very God of very God. And, and hold that thought. Let's add to it, though. What happens when a caterpillar enters the cocoon only to emerge later as a butterfly? It's not that the caterpillar changes its basic nature, right? Metamorphosis reveals what was always there in the genes of the caterpillar. Caterpillars can't fly, but they were born to fly. So how do we solve the problem? Metamorphosis, right? When the caterpillar has been changed into a butterfly, it becomes what God always intended it to be. Hold that thought. Let's add one more to it. Tadpoles become frogs. They don't become butterflies. Only caterpillars become butterflies. Metamorphosis, notice this on your worksheet, metamorphosis reveals the essence of a thing. It does not change the essential essence. So caterpillars can't hop like frogs. Tadpoles will never soar like butterflies. Metamorphosis reveals the essential character of whatever was put there by the Creator in the beginning. Now let's apply this to every believer. When we come to Christ, surrender our lives to Him, He gives us a gift. The great gift He gives us is the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. That's an awesome thought. That we who know Christ as our Lord and Savior have been given and we now have 
the mind of Christ within us. In this context, having the mind of Christ, notice on your study guide, means that we have the ability to estimate the true value of things. This is huge in a time when our culture's values are so misplaced and so misdirected. As they value the cheap, worthless, temporary trinkets while discarding the valuable eternal treasures. Do they not? In, uh, let, me, let me use another illustration here. In the art world, there are certain people who are called appraisers. They can look at a painting and say, that's a fake, it's a forgery, it's worthless. Or they can look at it and say, that's a Rembrandt and it will fetch at least $7 million at auction. Appraisers are well paid because they have the ability to spot the real value of a painting. Now, I don't have that ability. I can look at a painting for hours and never know that it's a phony or a forgery. But it can be exciting when you learn the true value of something. Especially if it's something you own. Yeah. Right? I was at a, uh, um, an estate sale uh, last weekend. Just happened to go by. And they were closing up and uh, getting ready to take all the boxes of stuff that was left to uh, donate somewhere, they said. So uh, they was like, yeah, what do you look for? And I like to just look at old tools. And so I said, well, uh, you know, old tools. They said, well, here's only tools we have is in this box. Help yourself. So I looked in there. I saw one, one thing that I said, uh, how much? And they said, dollar. I gave them a dollar. And it was, a, it was an old... And I got it because I'd never seen one like it before. It's, it, and I found out it's pretty rare. It's a wizard ratchet. It was, it was patented in 1904. And so I looked it up online, and I paid a dollar for it. And eBay is selling one just like it for $125. I said, yes! Hmm? I said, it's exciting when you learn the true value of something, especially if you own it. That's why the television programs like Antiques Roadshow has become so popular. You know, episode features someone who, who bought a lamp or an old trunk at a flea market for 40 bucks, only to discover it's worth like 7000 We see this, and then what do we do? We go rummage through our garage, <laughs> hoping to find that valuable piece of junk that we almost tossed out last week. See, many watch that because we want to know the true value of what we own. And Paul says those who have the mind of Christ know the true value of things. And they make their decisions accordingly. And before we move on, consider one more verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Outside the accounts of Christ's transfiguration in Romans 12.2, this is the only other place in the New Testament where this particular Greek word is used. Paul said, but we all with open face 
means unveiled face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed. Everybody say that word, changed. That's the word we're looking at. Transformed. Transfigured. Are changed in the same image from glory to glory or from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So note that we are being changed, transformed, transfigured into the image of Christ. What is that old gospel song that goes, uh, I, I think I pulled it up a while back on the computer. It says, little by little, every day, little by little, in every way, my Jesus is changing me. Since I made that turnabout face, I've been growing in his grace. My Jesus is changing me. The course has a line in it that says, I'm not the same person that I used to be. It's been slow going, but there's a knowing that someday perfect I will be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Perhaps that's exactly the idea Paul has in mind here in Romans 12, 2, 2 Corinthians 3, 8. Or 18, rather. It's the logical outcome of having the mind of Christ. It really is. But let's return now to the illustration of uh, the art appraiser for a moment. See, we, we aren't born with the ability to know the difference between a, a, a Da Vinci or Picasso or a fake. It takes years of study. It takes a, a, a maybe a long apprenticeship. And you have to prove yourself along the way. But if you are gifted and determined and if you are willing to pay that price, you can be transformed into a professional appraiser. Right? It doesn't happen overnight, but it can happen over time. And the same is true in the spiritual life. We have the mind of Christ, which means we have the ability from God to estimate or estimate the true value of things. And as we reject the ways of the world, don't let the world, as we talked last time, squeeze you into its mold. We learn over time to see things as God sees them. This isn't automatic. It's not instant. But since it is God's desire, having a transformed mind is within the reach of every believer over time. Amen. So number two. We must then reprogram our minds. Paul says we're transformed by the renewal or the reprogramming of our mind. Now, this mind includes the intellect, but it, folks, it goes beyond that. Our mind is more than our IQ or our ability to understand complex problems. The mind by nature, though, is darkened because of sin. It's depraved, Romans 1.28, filled with wicked thoughts, Jeremiah 4.14. Um, hostile to God, Paul said in Romans 8.7. Defiled, Titus 1.15. Thoughts are empty and worthless, uh, Ephesians 4.17. It's easily filled with human pride, Colossians 2.18. That is God's estimate of the human mind apart from His grace is the truth about every mind from the moment of birth. It is the truth about us personally. Hey, it's not just the truth about the bad people out there. Huh? Apart from God, and unless we, he somehow intervenes, that's our mind. 
how then will we ever be transformed by the reprogramming or renewing of our mind if our minds are so utterly, are utterly corrupt apart from God's grace? Well, that's a good question. And in answering it, I think we need to see three extremes we must avoid. Here we go. First of all, we must not think that real mind change is impossible. <laughs> One minister put it this way. He said, some of us may be so stuck in our bitterness or stuck in our lust or stuck in our general grumpiness, stuck in our immaturity or in our selfishness or in our greed or in our pettiness or in our misfittedness, which is a word that I just made up because it describes a few people I've met along the way. Or our irritability or our addictive behaviors or so, so stuck in our love for money or our laziness or whatever else that bothers us and holds us back and keeps us changed or chained or frustrated or unable to make our progress spiritually. So that year after miserable year, we seem to be in the same old rut. And if that's the way you feel about your life, I don't blame you for thinking that real change is impossible. But still, you're wrong. Because God says you're wrong. Hello. We don't have to stay the way we are. We can be changed, Paul says. Somebody say, I can be changed. Hmm? Well, I can just see one of you. You're nudging your spouse. <laughs> see, I told you, you can change. We can be changed from the inside out. And guess what? God intends to change us. And he, in fact, is doing it if we'll let him. So don't give up on yourself, no matter how lousy you feel about your lack of progress. Mm. Okay, secondly, don't think that you need some sort of miracle experience or some kind of crisis moment in order to be transformed. Now, don't get me wrong. God often uses crisis moments to change us. Hello. But just because you don't have a crisis moment, you just say, well, I can't change unless I get a crisis moment. You better hope you change before you get a crisis moment. For most of us, spiritual transformation happens over a period of time, a little at a time, a step at a time, a day at a time. And seeking instant transformation actually can be dangerously misleading. I love, don't get me wrong, when people come forward, embrace Christ, rededicate their lives to Christ, that is exciting. It's worth celebrating. Heaven celebrates that. But how many know that's the first step? I said, that's the first step in a lifelong process of inner transformation and sanctification. Right? Praise God. Is this making sense? Are you sure? Don't you be fibbing to me. All right, thirdly, don't fall into the trap of thinking that if you just try harder, You'll get better. See, I think sometimes trying harder generally sets us up for failure. Our text is not a call 
See, Paul is not calling for us to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and just give it the old college try one more time. When Paul says be transformed, he uses a passive form of the verb and he doesn't say transform yourself, which would be utterly impossible. I don't have the power to change my depraved mind into the mind of Christ. Only God can do that for me. But does that mean I don't play a part in the process? Not at all. Huh? Because the work of renewing my mind is God's work and ultimately only He can do it. But He calls me to cooperate with Him by disciplining myself so that the transformation will actually take place and be long term. Hello? 1 Corinthians 9.25 And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. So what is he saying here? Well, he's using a sports illustration analogy here. He's saying that everyone who competes in the games of their day have to go into strict training, right? And they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And here's the reason many people give up on transformation or, or they, a lot of times they will accept some kind of pseudo, quasi, bogus imitation transformation. We'll spend ourselves trying to be transformed when the Bible calls us to train to be transformed. Notice the difference. Notice on your study guide. There is an enormous difference between trying to do something versus training to do it. Oh, you better get that. Hmm? Take, for example, a marathon. How many of us here tonight could run a marathon tonight? Come on, bring it on. Yeah, right. Not me. I can't even walk from the office here without going. <laughs> even if we tried, you say, Pastor, really, really, really hard. Well, you may. Few of us may. Not me. Few of you may. But many of us could run the marathon eventually. If we what? Trained for it. Hmm? That's the difference between trying to do it tonight and training to do it in the next 30 days. Or however long. Maybe 30 days is not even long enough. You can tell I'm not a runner. Same thing, you know, over 20 years ago after graduating Bible school, I went on a church planning endeavor in Taiwan. I, I walked in the middle of a uh, 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 language and a culture that was completely foreign to me. But after some time, somebody say time. After some time in language school, three and a half months out on the streets, I, I started picking up the language. And although I can't speak fluently, no matter how hard I try, I was on my way, though. Hello. 
I got to where I could conversate a little bit and order something off of a menu. Hmm? Why? Because I was in training. Right. If I was to become fluent now, I would need to go back and revisit their alphabet over and over again. I'll need to recite with my mouth and my mind their vocabulary pronunciation system, which is the bupa muffa. And eventually, the training would allow me to master the challenge. Training means arranging life around the activities that enable us to do what we cannot do now, even by extreme effort and trying. See, significant human transformation always involves training, not just trying. Don't forget that. But neither happened by accident. No one is transformed into a marathon runner or into a bilingual speaker by chance. It doesn't happen overnight. Number three, we must combine mental desire with mental discipline. Here's a little equation from theologian Dr. Charles Ryrie. He was a dean of doctrinal studies, systematic theology professor at Dallas Theological Seminary years ago. And he would often write this equation on the blackboard for his students. T plus HH equals SG. That is time plus habits of holiness equals spiritual growth. It's pretty good, isn't it? And I like it. It's pretty solid scriptural truth. The transformation of the mind takes time. And it takes a determination to develop those habits of holiness. And one minister said he would, he would uh, only add one thing to this equation until it looked like this. T plus HH plus GE equals SG. Which means the GE there is the additive which stands for godly encouragement. I doubt that anyone will grow spiritually into this mind of Christ without being around others who can encourage you to make wise choices on a daily basis. For all of us, that will mean, hey, be part of a local congregation. Be part of a Sunday school class or some sort of uh, Bible, small Bible group where we can develop relationships with others, uh, uh, believers who will both encourage us and guess what? Hold us accountable. So the reminder that we have the mind of Christ upon surrender and salvation. And yet, Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you. He's already writing to the Christians at Philippi. He says, let this mind be in you. Sounds like Paul is saying that we are to have what we already have. But it's not a contradiction. It is rather a call to continued transformation mentally. So that we will little by little move from the caterpillars that we are to the butterflies that God wants us to be. Hello. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen at the snap of a finger. It happens when we make personal commitment. And with godly encouragement from others, it happens as we become what God made us to be. 
happens when we behold the glory of Christ. Huh? Pursue the Lord and know Him better. Then and only then will we be reprogrammed, transformed, transfigured by that reprogramming or renewing of our minds. Amen? Let me close. Did you hear about Joe? Everybody say Joe. Joe, Joe was a drunk who was miraculously converted at the Bowery Mission, New York City. It is the oldest Christian mission in uh, downtown New York. It was established in 1879. Prior to Joe's conversion at this gospel mission, he had gained the reputation of being just a hopeless, worthless, godless drunk who just eked out a miserable existence living in the gutters of New York. But he come into that mission, God gloriously saved him. And following his conversion to Christ, things began to change. Joe became the most caring person anyone could ever meet. Joe spent his days, his nights, hanging out there at the mission, just volunteering, doing whatever the staff needed done. There was nothing um, that he was asked to do that he considered beneath him. When it was cleaning up, whether it was cleaning up a mess left by some violently ill client or drunk or scrubbing the toilets in the men's room, Joe did what was asked of him and he did it with a smile on his face and a gratitude uh, for the chance to help. He could be counted on to feed the feeble men. He would actually feed them if they come in wandering off the street into the mission. He would tuck them into bed that night at the mission if they were too out of it to do it themselves. One evening, though, when the director of the mission was delivering his evening evangelistic message to the usual crowd, there was a man who gets up. He walks down the aisle of the mission kneels at the altar and begins to cry out to God to help him change. And he was a drunk that was wanting to change and so he just began to repent and this is what they said he prayed. He said, oh God, make me like Joe. And just kept saying, make me like Joe. Oh God, make me like Joe. And the director of the mission leaned over and said, Son, I, I think it'd be better if you prayed, make me like Jesus. And that man looked up at the director with a quizzical expression on his face, and he said, Well, is he like Joe? Hello? And I thought, that's a tremendous credit to Joe's faith in God. Wouldn't it be? Many people don't have a clue about Christ, but when they see the mind of Christ being fleshed out in us, the habits and our character, they're going to see the difference and they're going to want to follow us 
as we follow Christ. Amen. I want to follow him, don't you? Lord, continue renewing our minds. Would you pray that with me tonight? God, renew and reprogram our minds so that we will assess the true value of everything in light of eternity. Help us, Lord, to understand the unbelievable privilege of having the mind of Christ and, and the wisdom of God dispensed to us by the Spirit of God and so that we can properly know what is right. God, there's folks here tonight that's probably needing direction. Would you give them the mind of Christ on the topic that they have in question? God, help us to protect that mind of Christ and learn to think and set our minds on things that matter. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Guard us, Lord, that we might be all the more to your glory and your praise. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand together. I've uh, kept you long enough. Let's join Sister Jones in that chorus she's playing. Change me, Lord. He says, don't let me stay the same. How many want to cooperate with the Lord? He calls us. And if we'll cooperate with Him, He can reprogram our minds. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I feel His Spirit here. I feel His presence. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Change me, Lord. Change me, Lord. Don't let me stay the same Lord I want to be more like you that's what it comes down to more like Jesus less of me take my life all that you want it to be thank you Lord thank you Lord change me one more time, let it ring. Thank you, Jesus. Change me, Lord. Change me, Lord. Don't let me stay the same. Hallelujah. I want to be changed from one degree of glory to the next. you want to take a few moments, build an altar and make that your prayer, you're welcome to do so, whether you do it at your pew or want to step forward and do it, you're welcome to do so. If you got to go, understand, may God richly bless you, keep you. Join us on Sunday back in the house of the Lord. But between now and then, 
just remember, he's reprogramming us.